millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, Andy Parsons here. Thanks for downloading this Slacktivist Action Group podcast. It's our 22nd episode. Far more episodes than we ever thought we would make. But it has taken us two years. Hope you're having a good August. And welcome to our bank holiday special recorded live at the Latitude Festival in Suffolk. It was the first time we'd taken the Slacktivist Action Group out of London, the Soho Theatre where we normally are, and it felt very good. So if you'd like us to come to your constituency and talk to your local MP on their home patch, let us know via the website. That's andyparsons.co.uk. To give you an idea of what the Latitude Festival is like if you've never been, it is the only festival I have ever been to that has a Waitrose on site. At the equivalent festival in Ireland, the Longitude Festival, one of the arenas is called the John Lewis Arena. Enough said. We were at Latitude on the fourth day, when it seemed to be full of middle-class families who were close to breaking point, having slept very badly for three nights. We were placed in the speakeasy tent, the only performance tent I've ever been to, where they had a Waterstones bookshop in the corner of the tent, selling books whilst the show was going on. But the tent was packed, as was the bookshop, and we were delighted to have as guests Sophie Walker, the leader of the Women's Equality Party, Maya Foa, director of the human rights organisation Reprieve, and India Knight, Sunday Times columnist and author. So that's coming up now. Just to mention, we are back at Soho Theatre in September, the last Monday of every month, when we have some guests that I am particularly excited about talking to, including Norman Lamb MP, Clive Lewis MP, Lucy Powell MP, co-leader of the Green Party, Jonathan Bartlett, John O'Farrell, Times columnist Henry Winter, Angela Barnes and Josh Widdicombe. Hopefully see you at one of those, or around the UK on tour. It seems that Earth has yet to reach peak bullshit, So the Peak Bullshit Tour has been extended by 50 dates. Hopefully one of them is near you, or you like travelling. Full details are on the website, which is, for those of you with short attention spans, andyparsons.co.uk, or on Twitter, at Mr Andy Parsons. Good luck. Welcome along to Slacktivist Action Group at the Latitude Festival. How many people here were camping last night? Oh, 
but they're still excited even on the fourth day of the festival. Obviously, a lot of people now have got those pop-up tents, and they are great, aren't they? But what we really want is a pop-up, pop-down tent. Because they're easy to pop up, but often they're a bit of a bugger to pop down. You're there squeezing them, you think you've popped them down, and just as you think you've squeezed them down, they pop up in your face, and you've got to have another crack at them. Which is why... On like a day like today, on the last day of a festival, often for 48 hours solid drinking beforehand, you have a lot of people staring at their own tent going, I can't be dealing with you. I'm just going to buy another one next year. And what's important when you are pitching your tent is to make sure you find a bit of space. That's what you really want to do. But often, the reason that there's a bit of space to find is that there's a very good reason other people haven't pitched their tent there. I was at a festival last year. It seemed a brilliant bit of space. And I thought to myself, oh, this is going to be fine. Also, it's very convenient for the toilets. And therein was the first mistake. Because at the very start of a festival, those toilets don't smell, do they? Oh, but by the third day, we'd got our earplugs, we'd stuffed them up our nose... And we'd gone out and bought poppers. And you may well know, when you buy poppers, for them to be sold legally in this country, they need to have on the packet that they're sold as room odorizers. I would put money, we were the only people at that festival who were actually using poppers for the purpose stated on the packet. Because you know what those toilets are like? You go in the first port loo you almost wretch... So you then move on to the second one, it's worse. You then move on to the third one and you think, well, that first one wasn't too bad, was it really? And when you do find yourself a bit of space, it's really nice and you think this is a brilliant place. You want thoughtful neighbours when you're camping. You know, if you're in a hotel room, it's bad enough if you can hear somebody shagging next door through a hotel room. But if you can hear it and they're in the tent next door... It's like they're in the tent with you. I remember being woken up at one festival and thinking it was so loud they must actually be in the tent with me and I was checking the tent to see that they hadn't got pissed and just come in my tent and hadn't realised. If you are listening to two people copulating at a festival in the tent next door, you're going, come on, get a move on. Don't be a tantric hero tonight. But there was this one festival, right, where we're there and we've got this bit of space around us and we woke up the next day having had a little area all the way around that was free and there was no space. People had come during the night and they'd put their tents all the way around. So I unzipped the tent in the morning and there, right in my face as I unzipped the tent, one bloke, old bloke, sat on his chair in his pants going, morning. And I thought, I can't be dealing with this. So I went, snuck out the back, and there, in his chair, the same bloke all over again in his pants, morning. Turns out it was his brother. The entire family had pitched their tent round our tent during the night and then proceeded to shout to each other across our tent... And they said to us, oh, don't worry, they said, it's absolutely fine. You can just pretend to be part of our family 
for the festival, which was very sweet of them, apart from the fact if I ever had been part of their family, I would have been contacting social services and putting myself up for adoption. And the thing is, you forget, don't you? You go for this camping, and you think, well, next year I'll come to the festival, but I'll get a hotel, I'll do it differently. But over the course of the 12 months, you completely forget about it, and you go, no, let's go camping. We loved it last time, and you turn up, only this time, you're the one who's got the chair, and you sit there in your pants, and you go, morning. (laughs) When festivals work well, there is that brilliant feeling. That togetherness, that spirit, this idea that there is no society. No, you think there is a togetherness. You think we can do this. You wake up in the morning, you think, yeah, we can rise like lions after slumber. We are an unvanquishable number. You know, we can shake the chains to earth like dew. We are the many, not the few. We can do this, you think. And then you have a little sniff of your armpit, don't you? And you think, shower first shower first because we are we should never forget and if this is an opportunity to remember we are amazing we live in an amazing planet if you think about it it is absolutely incredible that you are here today absolutely amazing if you imagine your mum something like 400 eggs your dad something like 10 million sperm the chance of any one of us being here today is something like one in four billion imagine if maybe your dad had had one more drink or maybe your mum won less. Because they always like to say to us, don't they? They say, oh, well, imagine two philosophers having the debate, why are we on planet Earth? And one of the philosophers might say, we are here for the further advancement of the human race. And the other one might go, well, the reason I'm here was my dad was supposed to pull out, but at just the wrong moment, my mum stuck her finger up his ass." And that seems to me, I was not sure how that would go at the Latitude Festival in the speakeasy tent, ladies and gentlemen, at 6.15 on a Sunday. But it seems like a perfect segue. Let us now please welcome our three fabulous guests. Would you please give it up for the leader of the Women's Equality Party, Sophie Walker, for the director of Reprieve, Maya Foa, and for the author and columnist, India Knight. Thank you very much for coming along. We always like to try and bond with our audience early doors. We confess to something that um, maybe in an ideal world we'd be less slack about. So, India, if we could maybe start with you, what would you like to confess to the Slacktivist Action Group tonight? I feel that um, to, to, to achieve true intimacy, it should be something to do with personal hygiene, but I'm not not going to go there. Um, I'm very slack about going to London because we moved to Suffolk two years ago and we live here full time and now I just pretend London doesn't exist and it makes me really happy. (laughs) Latitude very happy with that particular statement. Maya, what about you? What would you like to offer? I'm going to get closer to the hygiene question. Fair enough. I was thinking earlier when I didn't clean my sheets, I hate making the bed, I hate the duvet cover, I can't muscle with it. Anyway, then I found out... (laughs) Somebody else as well. Then I found out that you're, the producer of this show had broken his middle finger, the middle one, the important one, making the bed. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm just going to be actively slack about it, I think. Yeah, no, that's yeah. right. He, he, he's done himself a, a nasty mischief <laughs> and with the important common. finger. Yeah. So everybody's trying to work out exactly why that but was how? particularly what important. What was he doing? Making the bed. 
It's tucking in, apparently. Apparently, it's a very common thing see, if we have any But certainly, if you have injured your finger in any other way, you can just say now, or I, it was tucked during the bed. Doing the bed. Sophie, what would you like to offer? Um, I had to really think about this because I'm, I'm not very slack. I'm sort of the opposite of slack. I worry about everything and I get very uptight about getting everything right, which I think quite a lot of women probably do. There's this like, oh, I can't do it unless I can do it perfectly. Ah. Um, so I'm actually just going to start being slack. Nice. I think, I think that's very reasonable. And people people very happy with that answer. Um, you, you haven't been slack at all. You've been very, very busy. You have stood in the general election. Yes. You, you stood in Shipley. I did. Um, against a man called Philip Davies. And yes. we should probably, uh, for those people in the audience who don't know very much about Philip Davies, let me just give them a flavour. Um, Philip Davies was the man who, when uh, it was National Women's Day, insisted on that Parliament should then observe National Men's Day. This is the man who, uh, when it was asked about Trump, he wrote an article about Donald Trump, which basically said, I'm a British MP and I would vote for Trump in a heartbeat. This is the man who wasted the time of the Equalities and Human Rights Commission by asking them questions, sending them questions to answer, such as, is it offensive to black up? And then... When it comes to Nigel Farage, he said, I agree with practically everything he's ever said. So, sad then that, given that he's such a fan of Nigel Farage, that he's never actually resigned, Philip Davis, not even once, let alone three times. (laughs) It was an interesting choice why you went there. Well, we went to stand against Philip Davis because um, he basically represents everything that the Women's Equality Party is um, trying to uh, overturn and stop and uh, force a different way of doing things. (laughs) Philip has this idea that um, treating people equally means treating people exactly the same. And you can hear that and think, well, yeah, of course, that's sensible, right? It's just, you just like, you treat everybody exactly the same. But if you treat everybody exactly the same, you completely fail to see what individual people need. And so treating women like men doesn't work because women have massive structural barriers that they have to overcome in order to have equal opportunities to work, to share care, all that stuff. And uh, the, the one thing you didn't mention about Philip is that he took time out of his parliamentary constituency duties to give a big speech at a conference run by a, an outfit called Justice for Men and Boys. Uh, Justice for Men and Boys also run a website which hosts such charming articles as 13 Reasons Women Lie About Rape. Um, and so Philip went and gave a really nice speech at their conference about um, how feminist zealots just want to have their cake and eat it. Um, so we decided that we would go and run against Philip Davis in Shipley and uh, give him a bit of a fright. And he, we should also point out he wants to ban sex education in schools. That's yeah. one of his things. He said he thought his constituents, they thought that actually the more sex education there was at schools, the more people got pregnant, when, of course, the, the facts are that, in fact, the reverse of that yes. is, in fact, true. The more yes. sex education, if you can show kids how to put on a condom properly, they tend to then put on a condom properly. Yeah. Uh, obviously, hopefully, it's improved slightly sex education since my day when we were shown how to put a condom on a broom handle, nice. which was fine if you're having sex with a broom handle, but less handy if you had a penis. But, yes, a, a particularly unpleasant man. How did it go? How was the... Uh, it was it was it was fun. I mean, a lot of it was just about taking up space. 
The point of establishing the Women's Equality Party was uh, there was basically a bunch of us in 2015 who, and we could see the run-up in, into that 2015 election and we were really fed up that um, what was on offer was so rubbish again. Like There was nobody prioritising... Uh, women's lives. There was nobody prioritising the the deep inequalities that women experience, the 20% pay gap, uh, the two women a week who are murdered by their partners or former partners, um, the inequalities of our education system that still tell girls that because they are girls they are fundamentally unsuited to be scientists or engineers. Um, they, like, we have the most expensive childcare in the Western world. So none of this ever made the top of anybody's to-do list, ever. And then when it was mentioned, it was always at the back of the manifesto, like that special little women's section for the special, like, you know, like we're the pigeon fanciers and the women go at the back of the manifesto. So we're like, let's just do a women's equality party. And, um, and it just took off from there. Uh, and I put my hand up to help thinking, I'll put chairs out at meetings. Um, and I ended up doing this. But I didn't put my hand up to say, I know, I want to go and lead a new uh, political party. It just happened. And that's one of the brilliant things about this party, which is it is full of people who just said, I'm really sick of politics belonging to other people and not listening to me or seeing me or hearing me. Some of the headlines after the election were along the lines that the monster raving loony party had got more votes than the Women's Equality Party. Now, obviously, you only fielded seven candidates in the election. Monster raving loony party, they fielded at least twice that number. So you smashed the monster raving loonies right out of the park. But I'm guessing what you don't want is is when you see the name of your party in a headline, you don't want next to it anywhere near the monster raving loony party. Well, actually, I think I probably have more respect for the monster raving loony party than I do for certain other political parties. So, you know, I'm quite cool with that. Um, Where we stood in Shipley, we got 2% of the vote. You know, we're two years old. Um, compared to the first, run out of, uh, uh, the first election run out of the Greens and UKIP, we've done much better than them. So we're growing faster. But yeah, I mean, people, we live in speeded up times. People want results immediately. What we did do by running as a political party was to say, this matters and people will vote for this. And people did vote for this. And as a result, the other, the other parties are seeing that they need to raise their game. The other thing that we do very differently as a political party is that we offer joint memberships. So you can be a member of our party and any other political party uh, apart from the BMP sorry, don't want you Um, uh, but that's a way of also saying to any, you know, to Labour or Conservatives or Greens or SNP or Plaid, we have people who are members of all those other parties who are basically saying look, I'm going to join the Women's Equality Party because you're really quite crap at this and so I'm going to give them my time and I'm going to campaign and canvass for them too Um, and it's it's a way of of pressuring the other parties. You're very cool about having dual membership are the other parties I can't imagine the Labour Party as soon as they spot you with any other membership they are very keen that, to get rid of you and say that you won't be able to join uh, yeah the well mm, the other parties <laughs> uh, some of them are sort of turning a blind eye to this because it's 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 quite embarrassing to say you must leave because you are for women's equality um, the Labour Party um, the Labour Party sort of throws people out occasionally 
unless you're famous and a member of the Women's Equality Party. Oddly, they've not chucked out any of the celebrities who have joint membership with us and, and the Labour Party. And were you slightly disappointed with the amount of publicity you got during the general election campaign? As, as a former journalist yourself for 20 years, were you half tempted to interview yourself more often and <laughs> send, send it into the, the TV stations and go, here's a, here's a great interview yes. with a great interviewee? Yes, yes, like fantastic journalist, really interesting new politician. <laughs> I think you should have a look at this. It is quite weird doing this, having been on the other side of it, because like, you recognise all the tricks that people play. So when I, when I first started being interviewed, it, it was... Like that, that, that thing where they, they go quiet in the hope that they, you'll run into it and say something inappropriate. And I knew that that was a trick, so I would just sit there. And that other thing of, like, when you think the interview is over and you're walking out together and they ask that, like, little question in at the end... and, and They you failed are, to take your microphone yeah, off. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I was wise to all that stuff. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it's hard because, because, again, there's an idea of what's important in politics, right? And, again, politic, the media is run predominantly by men, um, and most of the political journalists, like, there is a, a majority of, well, there's some brilliant female ones, but there's a majority of men. And there is an idea that um, women's equality is not a top political story, whereas, for example, Europe is. So when UKIP started, it, it got a lot of coverage and a lot of play because Europe was deemed to be important. And the Women's Equality Party basically spent six months in the lifestyle pages because if you're a political party for women, then you must be in among the baking and the cooking and the sewing. So I was just quite glad this general election that we had made it out onto the political pages uh, rather than being in between articles about uh, 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 thigh-slimming pants. Yeah. And, India, you, you wrote in the Sunday Times recently, you were saying that it was, this was off the back of Joe Swinson for the Liberal Democrats being quite happy to become the deputy. You were saying that it was OK that, you know, if you weren't that ambitious, you didn't need although you would love to see more women in top jobs, if you didn't feel that way, that was absolutely fine. Presumably from Joe Swinson's point of view, it's okay being the deputy of the Lib Dems if, if the leader is going to be Vince Cable, who is 74, who may not necessarily be that well, long around. Quite. She said, that next, she, she said she'd stand next time around. But I think it is important to accept that you can't do everything amazingly all the time. I think, the re- I think I'm right in saying that the reason she's standing next time, but not this time for leader, is, is the age of her child or children. Um, and I think that's a kind of completely reasonable position to take. I think the idea that that women have to be incredibly brilliant at everything and lead everything, otherwise they might as well not bother, is really, really unhelpful. And I think lots of women are happy kind of somewhere in the middle, making sacrifices, maybe make... I mean, it's a shame that this has to happen, obviously, but I'm being realistic rather than prescriptive. Um, uh, Jogging along in the middle with their life arranged to work for them, you know, I think that's very important. I think the idea of the kind of ball-breaking career woman crashing through the glass ceiling with, you know, I used to work for a features editor who's... um who's the, the nanny of the ch- their children used to wave at, towards Canary Wharf every night while their mum, you know, worked late. I mean, that, that's not ideal either. Yeah. And we should ask the panel, um, what, what do we make of... Uh, Donald Trump specifically recently eyeing Mrs. Macron up and down and then going, oh, well, she's in great physical shape. 
Uh, yeah, no, that was absolutely disgusting. And I think um, what was funniest about that, well, there was nothing funny actually, but what <laughs> the thing that like made me like smile with gritted teeth was the fact that he thinks anybody wants to know what he thinks of her. He is the creepy guy. He's the kind of man who, when somebody knocks him back, which must happen very often, immediately says to his mates that they're a lesbian. That's what he's like. He's a complete. We I would can't. like. We would. Do you know. <laughs> I think. Let us hope that gets except, caught on ex- microphone. Except it's not funny. Except it's no. terrifying. Except he's the leader of the free world. You know, and 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 from a kind of woman's perspective, particularly, I feel that we've gone back in time to the kind of 1950s, and that movements such as Sophie's are, inc- are necessary. You know, aren't just a kind of welcome addendum to the general political landscape, but really, I mean, this is terrifying. And if women are going to group and just kind of stick together, I think I think women and Europe should group and stick together so that there's a kind of bulwark against this giant sort of grub-like grotesque larval looking man who for some reason unfathomable reason the people of America have chosen to elect I can't I can't get over it every day I look at Twitter and I just think I can't I don't I can't compute how they voted for him don't understand I understand you know that voiceless people wanted a voice and I understand about the idea of protest but I think, I mean, I have to say, I I, I agree. I think this is one of the biggest contracts that has been done in politics for decades. This idea that Donald, billionaire uh, Donald Trump with his gold elevator and East Dulwich uh, School educated former city trader, Conservative Party, Nigel Farage, are men of the people. Um, it is the biggest joke, and, it, and I think our response to that has got to be to get involved in politics to show them what real, ordinary, what ordinary people actually look like and actually want, because they are they are doing a huge amount of damage by pretending to be ordinary people. Well, Myers' organisation, Reprieve. <laughs> you um, you are one of your fundraising efforts at the moment is selling T-shirts with Donald Trump's face on, with bad dude mm. a- across his face, because he said he was going to fill up Guantanamo with bad dudes. Now, presumably, if the FBI investigation continues as it's going, that may well include most of his own family, Absolutely it appears. Right. Yes. Yeah. What, Although we may not represent him. I'm no. not sure. I think he wouldn't get through our selection criteria. But presumably, with all these emails coming through from Donald Jr., coming through. I mean, it was interesting to see that he decided the New York Times had all of these emails, so he then put them out on Twitter, but only put the first three pages out, you know, out of the four pages. Um, presumably hoping that the New York Times would go, oh, fair enough, he's shown us three, three of the four pages, that'll be enough. Obviously, this is the focal point for Reprieve at the moment in terms of this president is a bad dude. <laughs> this president is a bad dude. It's terrifying. I mean, we laugh at it. I actually go onto his Twitter feed just for a little bit of fun at 2 a.m. just to have a little look, see what he said. But it is really, really concerning. And it's also, it's not just, I mean, the comments about women, that's had a horrible impact. When you start following, I put Britain First and Breitbart News at the top of my social media feeds now so that I can understand why this happened. And all of that, the anti-feminism there is absolutely terrifying. But then you have also the attack on the free press. I think that when you work, as we do, around the world in these countries, like today I was working on some execution cases in Saudi Arabia. These are 17-year-old and 15-year-old kids who went to protests who've been sentenced to execution, some of them to crucifixion. 
this is uh, sort of all in the name of the war on terror, which is something that Donald Trump has come out and said, we need to get those bad dudes, we need to throw them in Guantanamo, and then there's the fake media. You know, you've got this terrifying, repressive regime, which is aping, actually. I mean, it's no surprise that he went over and touched the orb in Saudi Arabia and was welcomed by the various princes there. It's a really, really disturbing trend towards, I think, legitimizing the worst abuses that we can see. I think it's really shameful that we still trade with Saudi. I think it's disgusting. I think it's a black stain on the national character, and I think that we should stop and there will be unfortunate job losses and that will be a shame but it's too it's it can't be it can't be tolerated anymore i don't think and i think that's right because theresa may is holding donald trump's hand literally you know they are walking together it's the lapdog to the american and it's shocking yeah, well, they, they may yet run through a field of wheat together. We, we, <laughs> we can only hope. We, we don't know. In terms of um, taking the Women's Equality Party forward, you are doing lots of workshops at the moment. You're saying that the other parties um, don't, uh, don't necessarily they, they prescribe what they think women will want. You're actually doing what, what you've called What Women Want, where you actually have these workshops and women come in and they tell you what they want. We should say that What Women Want 2.0 is not the sequel to the film what women want, the 2000 film. I'm guessing when you're asking what women want, it is not, you know, Mel Gibson, Mel Gibson being able to tights. read yeah. your mind. No. But are you finding, I mean, you, how, in, how has the general election been perceived when you're having these, these workshops? And uh, there were some arguments that the Women's Equality Party should maybe concentrate on domestic violence, should concentrate on the gender pay gap. Maybe that standing in constituencies against other women was not the best use of your resources. Yeah, there were a lot of people who spent a lot of the election telling us to get out of the way, um, which to me confirmed just how much we needed to be in the way. Uh, I think the, the strain on the system of us sort of elbowing our way in showed the necessity of us elbowing our way in. Um, and I think it, 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 was a, it was very necessary to challenge this idea. People talk a lot about splitting the vote, like all of the small parties have had this, and it was a very polarised election. It was pre- pre- presented very much as you have one of two choices. Uh, this is a first-past-the-post election, so you know, we've just got to, you've just got to hold your nose and vote. Um, and frankly, as a woman, like, I have like, for many years now been holding my nose and voting for the least worst. I have not been voting with huge uh, uh, satisfaction for someone who I think absolutely sees and understands me. Um, so I think you know, we have to raise the bar. We have to tell you know, the point of us being there is to say you have to offer something brilliant. You can't offer the least worst scenario. And the vote does not belong to you. It belongs to the electorate. And political parties have got to earn that vote. And I'm tired of seeing other political parties think that they've already got my vote in their back pocket and that I will continue to wait in line until they get round to me. And, and that is why I'm doing politics. Because It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I am so sick of that. We move on to, on to reprieve in terms of... Uh, what your current campaigns are, you discovered when it comes to lethal injections, the American executions, you discovered that, in fact, for, for some of the drugs that they use for those, um, there was one Danish company called Lundbeck, and they were unaware that their drugs were being used for these lethal executions in America. So you contacted them, Maya, and uh, made them aware of this because they, you know, they, they thought it was an epilepsy drug. They thought it was doing people good, and they have now stopped that. You've now... This campaign has extended. You're now 30 other drugs companies refusing to sell to America, hence the shortage of, of execution drugs. And obviously, from their point of view, it's, it's very bad publicity for them. If they're selling these drugs, the last thing they want is they want to be helping people. So they, they don't want to hear, oh, you know, why not buy our drugs? Because in larger doses, they're killing people in America. That is not the publicity these drug companies need. Yeah, that's right. And what's really interesting right now at this particular point in the U.S., they, they can't get the drugs, so they can't get the drugs in lots of different states. And, and they've got these options now. They could move to another method. They could move to the firing squad. They could move to the electric chair. They could move to gas. They've got all these new and old methods that they're debating. And you've got prisoners actually asking for different methods because the lethal injection is not humane, and we probably all know that, but, but it's got this mask of, of humanity, the, the sort of medical mask. Anyway, you have these states with prisoners asking for different methods, like the firing squad, and uh, the states are saying, well, no, we can't. We can't do that. It's not known and available. Well, I mean, they have guns. They definitely have enough guns. But they still don't want to move to it. So I think what we're seeing now is this sort of moment where we're seeing, you know, the curtain on the chamber pulled back. People don't like... I think there's an ambivalence there. I think there's a real sense that, well, if we have to see it... If, if, if the public has to see what we're really doing to that prisoner, they might not support capital punishment. So quick, let's add secrecy into the mix. Let's, you know, go get our drugs from China. Let's get them imported in teddy bears. Let's get them, you know. I mean, I mean it, it's just extraordinary. Let's have experimental cocktails, everything to hide what we're really doing. I think it's sort of death throes of capital punishment, but it's really interesting psychologically to look at the U.S. at this moment with this debate. And reprieve was set up to begin with by Clive Stafford-Smith to help prisoners in Guantanamo Bay, as I understand it. Now, there were 700 there. They're now down to 40-odd. You've helped over 80 get out. Nine only convicted yeah. out of those 700. And obviously a lot of them, they were in there because 
In Pakistan, they were offering a bounty of $5,000. Exactly. And $5,000 in Pakistan is something like 10 years' wages. Exactly. So it was like one of those things where you could, you know, are are you going to work for 10 years or are you going to shop your neighbour? Yeah, and are you going to pick the guy who could have you and your family killed or are you going to pick that other dude down the road who you didn't like because he stole your goat? So what what are your hopes? Obviously, Obama said he was going to close Guantanamo, um, but uh, Trump, no chance. Yeah, I mean, it's extraordinary. When you look at the maths, it's sort of, you know, it's a 95-plus percent failure rate at actually getting convictions. That's extraordinary, and the cost of it is phenomenal. I think now, I mean, the the hope is that there's this new um, commitment to trying to oppose some of Trump's more extreme attitudes and beliefs and that civil society will be more active on you don't think he's going to just fill it up again no i think he will try but i think we'll have a lot more opposition i think most people think i mean not not this audience who you know read the guardian and go to waterstones and waitrose but a lot of people think guantanamo is is closed there are 40 people there people think it's closed these people are cleared for release many of them are cleared for release and they're just languishing there there's a guy who's turning 70 you know he'll die in guantanamo so i think I think Trump will try, but I think there'll be different things that we can do, and I think that'll bring it back into the news. People have stopped talking about that prison, and it shouldn't be, you know, it should be right up there on our international and national agendas. And one of your campaigns at the moment is a British citizen in Florida. He was convicted of murder 30 years ago, a man called Chris Maharaj. Just give the audience a few facts about this man. The case, uh, I believe the first judge after three days of the hearing, was taken off the case because he was found guilty of taking bribes. The second judge, uh, when he was on, was then caught trying to conspire to actually uh, sort out the execution even before they'd had the sentencing hearing. Chris's lawyer offered no defence whatsoever. There was evidence from six witnesses that Chris was 30 kilometres away at the time of it. And more than this, the, the prosecution's best witness... And they said, oh, he passed a lie detector test when, in fact, he'd failed. So it it seems gobsmacking that this sort of case could take 30 years and still not be sorted. And we obviously like to think in this country it couldn't happen here. And then we we obviously remember, you know, Birmingham 6, Guildford 4, Hillsborough. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, I think that's entirely right. I think the US is extremely, the court system is extremely politicized as well. So what you see in this case is a system that doesn't want to accept that they could be wrong. Because to accept that they could be wrong, and this is why you have the case that says innocence is not relevant in a court, a Supreme Court case, it's because we can't possibly imagine that we could have made a mistake because if we've made a mistake, that undermines the entire system. And this is a system that has capital punishment as part of it. So it has to believe in its own integrity. But you do see these wrongful convictions in the UK. And there's a real problem with the adversarial system of needing to prove that you are right and therefore not being able to accept that there may have been something wrong. I mean, in the US, it's extreme. You've got judges falling asleep in front of their, you know, in the courtroom. I think it's, it's been known in this country as well. Well. Yeah, that too. <laughs> and but you're also one of your other main campaigns is against drones at the moment. Mm-hmm. The extrajudicial killing, what's going on in Pakistan, in Afghanistan, and they reckon ten civilians for every militant, whatever they might be. So, and those are U.S. military figures. So there have been so many weddings hit in northwest Pakistan. You're amazed that, that anybody gets married there at all. It, would you give any reason why these two should not be joined together? Yes, it makes a whirring noise and it's coming round the corner. 
what is your hope there with drones in terms of campaigning? Because Trump seems as keen, if not more keen, than Obama to use them. It's true. He likes toys, doesn't he? So, no, I, I mean, I think it's really worrying. It's the same thing, though, as Guantanamo. It's that faulty intelligence. You offer a bounty for a bit of intelligence. I mean, we've got terrible intelligence coming up through that system to the various different intelligence agencies in the US. Plus, you have a president who has no intelligence whatsoever. I mean, it's just, it, it is a recipe for disaster, but fatalities. And what we're seeing now in is, is yeah, tenfold increase in drone strikes uh, by Trump versus Obama and just scores. I mean, it's nothing like the figures they put out, but scores of innocent people killed. You've got mothers pregnant with kids who, who have been killed by drone strikes. You have drone strikes that happen. You have the double tap. So you have the drone strike in the village and then the rescuers go in to try and get the people who've been hurt and pull them out. And the Americans strike again and kill the rescuers. That's a really shocking system. And of course, the problem here, if you didn't even care about the civilians being killed, is that you are creating, if not militants, then you are certainly creating opposition to America. So are we surprised that we're not seeing a decrease in so-called terrorist attacks? Not at all, because the system isn't working. So at some point, somebody has to have the guts to say, you know, we got it wrong. We got it wrong after 9-11, and we, and we continue to get it wrong. And again, the sort of the aspect of using the remote-controlled drones, I think it's a bit like with the death penalty and the lethal injection. If we hide it, we don't have to look at what we're doing. Well, that's okay, we can keep doing it. And what you find is you do it more, and you make more mistakes, and you commit more abuses, and then there are the obvious repercussions of that kind of a flawed, fatally flawed policy. You, you were writing in the Sunday Times in the, uh, you know, after the London Bridge attacks that uh, it was okay to be scared in terms of, uh, you know, people were saying, oh, we weren't reeling after the attacks, you know, we're just getting along. Mm. But, you know, you can get on with your life, you can do it, but you can be scared at the same time. But I suppose from the, the flip side of that was we always need to remember that our fear of crime is much greater than crime itself. And the actual reality of yeah, it, well, yeah. I mean, on average, I think in Britain now, 600 people get murdered each year. 6,000 people, on average in Britain, commit suicide. Mm -hmm. So people are walking on the street, they're feeling nervous, they're late at night, somebody behind them. You can always turn around and go, look, I'm, I'm 10 times more likely to do harm to myself than you are. Yeah. And they'll probably leave you well alone. Yeah, it's quite a good tactic, actually. That's quite good. Yes, no, I think um, at, at the time of the attacks, which, um, which happened at the Sunday Times office, which I never go to because I never go to London anymore, but is, um, is by London Bridge, and our chief sub-editor jumped out of the way of the van that was coming for him. I mean, it was that close. Um, and then all my colleagues were in lockdown overnight. They were getting the paper out when it happened, and they all had to stay there um, until Sunday morning. So it was really, 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 really close to home. And, then, and all the coverage was saying, you know, indomitable London spirit. And that's all true. It's completely true. And London is amazing in every single respect. But, but I felt that, I mean, I know that lots of my friends were really frightened. It's, this is really, really kind of prime, you know, primitively frightening stuff. And I think it's okay to say, you know, there are a bunch of assholes and up them, but I'm still frightened and I don't like putting myself in vulnerable situations or, 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 or taking the underground or walking along a bridge. I think that's fine. I think, I think this kind of 
almost martial narrative that we tell ourselves that, you know, we are plucky, we are brave, we are not scared, is only helpful up to a point. I think it's as helpful to acknowledge that these things are new, you know, these are all, these are new terrors, and it's important that we process them instead of going, ah, no, it's fine, we can hack it. You know, it's important to look at how these things make us feel and to adjust our behaviours accordingly and not to feel embarrassed of being frightened. And you were also writing recently about the dangerous cult of the beach body, how women feel pressure to get their bodies ready for the beach for summer. And I was wondering what you made of the um, banning this week of the bikini line advert. The Advertising Standards Authority uh, have banned the advert. They were saying that it was highly sexualised, that it objectified women. And it got quite a lot of publicity a lot of the websites, the newspaper websites, decided to show this advert one more time before it got banned. You know, you could click on it an awful lot before they banned it to try and get a bit of clickbait to their particular websites. I find it really weird because I'm of the generation where it was normal to have pubic hair, you know. You just had pubic hair. People had pubic hair, hair on the heads. There is a comedy pubic sketch there, isn't there, where you've got three females dancing along with massive amount of pubic hair coming out of their bikinis and with the little tagline, Femme Fresh can fuck off. <laughs> I'm not sure about, you know, jumbo amounts of pubic hair, but I think not like, not like head hair on, on, um, down, down below. But I, I do think it's very odd. I think this whole... I think the whole... Um, my 13-year-old daughter is... Um, uh, over there in the audience, and she is very keen on Instagram. And the, the I think the um, the images, the, the ways the ways in which we're, we're expected to look, you know, kind of airbrushed and photoshopped and hairless. It's really weird. It's like John Ruskin on his wedding night, you know, who ran screaming out of his bedroom because his wife wasn't completely smooth like a Greek statue. Uh, it's that same thing. It's the 21st century equivalent of that. And I don't know, it must be so difficult being a girl now. I don't know what people do. I don't know how people hold it together. They join the Women's Equality Party. They do. <laughs> yeah. do. Um, I mean, I say that because we have one, one of our objectives that we set down from, the day, from day one when we started the party was uh, um, equality in the media. Because it's not just the beach body, it's, it's the winter body, it's the Christmas body, it's the spring body, it's the autumn body, it's the depiction of women in TV dramas as the girlfriend or fodder for serial killers. Yeah, or the murderer. Um, you know, yeah. Exactly. It's, you know, we, our lives are dismissed and demeaned and denigrated right across the media all of the time, and it is time to change. We have 10 minutes left. We, we will go to questions very shortly. We always like to try and encourage people to get involved with something in between Slacktivist Action Group meetings. Sophie, would you, um, if people were interested in the Women's Equality Party, they want to join, whatever, find out more about it, can you tell us how they go about that? Um, yeah, you can uh, go to our website, womensequality.org.uk. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Sophie Running. I'm happy to have a chat. Um, we've got uh, about 70 branches in England, Scotland, Wales, one in Northern Ireland as well. Um, and uh, you can come and um, get dragged into doing all sorts of stuff. <laughs> Putting out the chairs to start with, exactly. maybe leader the week after. We are, we are looking for uh, candidates for local elections in spring. Do you have a junior membership? For uh, children? Yeah, you can, we take people from 14. So our youngest member is 14 and our oldest is 91. Excellent. And Maya, would you like also to, to let people know about Reprieve? If they want to get involved with Reprieve, what do they need to do? 
I would absolutely, yes. Um, you can join our mailing list, and I'm going to embarrass the people up there because they haven't heckled me yet. We've got four or so reprievers. Could you stand up? Yeah. So you can go talk to them about more of our work. You can come and volunteer with us. Um, I also thought I'd be moving chairs. I started as a volunteer, so maybe you'll end up in this seat. Um, and follow us on Twitter. I'm Maya Foa on Twitter and all the rest. Lovely. Okay, so let's, um, let's go to the audience. We have some great panellists. Let's ask... Yes, madam, you're down the front here. You're very keen. Hi. Um, Sophie mentioned our first past-the-post system. I wondered if you had any hope, or and for the other panellists as well, if you had any hope or expectation of that changing, and whether you think that parties like the Women's Equality Party can play a part in that, or whether just being part of the political system is kind of enough for... Um, I think everybody in here should sign up to the Make Votes Matter website if you care about proportional representation and you care about your vote uh, uh, being um, effective. I think um, what the last election showed really the problems of first past the post in that we ended up with (laughs) nothing. I mean, nobody won that election. And the people who lost most of all were the electorate. It's also proven that that First Past the Post is really bad at increasing diversity in Parliament. So we know that men outnumber women by two to one in Parliament. We also know the number of uh, black and Asian ethnic minority disabled people in Parliament is very, very low too. And First Past the Post is is why that happens. Um, And it's proven... This has been proven by study after study because parties put up the candidate they think will be most widely appealing, right? Because it's it's not a representative vote. It's how do you get the biggest number of votes in the room as quickly as possible? You put up a white, able bodied, middle class man. So that is another reason. If you want to see more people like you in politics, you have got to agitate for proportional representation. The Women's Equality Party is doing that. The Green Party is doing that. We are working with them and with other parties to try to make this happen. It's really, really important if you want to make the political system truly accountable. The lady down the... You you look round, but I'm looking at you, madam, in the the blue dress. So we'll try and get a microphone to you. (laughs) Hello, me again. The microphone on this question mucked up. So rather than playing you the resulting kerfuffle, hilarious as it was, Sophie luckily repeated the question so as we all know what the question was. If you were the person asking the question and are tuning in hoping to hear your own voice, apologies. But please turn up to another group meeting and ask two questions to make up for it. Back to Sophie. The question was, in terms of feminism, who do I trust more, Theresa May or Jeremy Corbyn? And my answer is, I don't think either of them are up to scratch, which is why I am here and doing this job. (laughs) Um, And I would just also say, um, for for, for the following reasons, just very quickly, Theresa May talks about feminism as as being it's good enough to be a female and a leader. But it is not good enough to be female and a leader unless you're leading with an understanding of women's lives. She does not do that. When you look at Jeremy Corbyn's manifesto for the last general election, he had funding plans for everything except childcare and social care. These are the two areas that most affect women, that are most likely to employ women, and actually it's proven that if you put an investment of 2% of GDP into construction, you get 750,000 jobs. If you invest 2% of GDP in the caring industry, you get 1.5 million jobs. So it's actually a more responsible way to invest in growing the economy. So they both have got a huge amount of job to do, uh, and that's why I'm here um, chasing them. 
Okay, let's um, let's crack on with another question. Hello, um, my question is. I've really enjoyed listening to everything you've said, but I just wanted to find out whether, as a party for women, are you trying to influence the other major parties, or do you want to become a party of your own, um, fighting elections on an equal footing, and we'll see you in Parliament? I'd like to go home. Um, My lovely eight-year-old daughter, Betty, is just in front of you, and my long-suffering husband also. I would like, I'd like to go home. I'd like, the, I'd like the world to be equal. I would like um, uh, women to have equal rights. I would like to have an economy that flourishes because everybody can participate in a society that can thrive because we are all at ease with ourselves. I don't see that happening anytime soon, so I won't be going home again anytime soon. The point of this is to get the job done. The point of this is not power for power's sake, It's because we have to exist in a political space. There have been brilliant work done by brilliant women's organizations for decades. And they only get so far because they are not threatening the vote share and the power of the other political parties. So we have to exist in the political space. But we will do it in many different ways. We're we're young, we're nimble, we're creative. We'll do it by stealing votes off the other parties. We'll also do it by working with the the other parties. Uh, We are uh, looking at potentially running joint candidates. Uh, We've written joint legislation with the Green Party and the Liberal Democrats. We will come at it from all angles. Because the other thing that we're doing is saying that you don't have to do politics the way the other parties do politics so every time we launch a campaign or we look at doing something we ask ourselves are we doing it like this because it works or are we doing it like this because this is the way everybody's always done it so we're equally here to say politics doesn't have to be done like this you don't have to ask permission to do it differently so let's um Let's try and grab somebody from towards the back. Anybody with a question towards the back? How do the panel feel about being chaired by a man? (laughs) Well, I mean, they're absolutely fine with it. Uh, yes, it's good of you. Good of you to know that, to sense that, just from the way we're sitting. Uh, I, I, no, delighted to be to be um, chaired by this particular man. Um, I don't know about any generic man necessarily in the world, but um, but but and actually, you know, thank you very much for having three woman guests on. Not at all. Trying to make up for uh, mock the week, basically. So, <laughs> but. Um, we, we should maybe, just as a, some sort of wrap-up, we should point out that men can, in fact, join the Women's Equality Party. The yes, we have lots and lots of men who are members of the Women's Equality Party who canvass, campaign. It's really interesting. They largely divide into two groups, so if I can just say very quickly. Um, we have, there's like, there's a, there's, this is purely anecdotal from visiting branches and going to events. So we have uh, young men who um, don't like the idea that is presented to them of what being a man is, this stupid sort of toxic masculinity, um, that you can't be a care, you can't look after your kids, that basically that once you start work, you're going to get pushed out of family life in the same way that your partner is likely to get pushed out of work to look after the kids. So we have lots of young men, millennials. On the other hand, (laughs) we have lots of dads of daughters. It's like they go through life as men with sisters and mums and aunts, and then they have a daughter and they're like, oh, shit, better join the Women's Equality Party. Um, but they're all very welcome. Lovely. 
we don't quite know what, what is going to happen in terms of the future. I think we can, we can safely say that uh, over the next 12 months, there is a very good chance that Theresa May will be spending, able at least to spend more time relaxing at home with those leather trousers. I think we can safely say that. But ladies and gentlemen, would you please give it up for our three guests today on the Slacks Research Group, Sophie Walker, Maya Foa and India Knight. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.